Today's reading is taken from Song of Songs, chapter 8, verses 5 to 14. Who is this coming up from the wilderness, leaning on her beloved? Under the apple tree I roused you. There your mother conceived you. There she who was in labor gave you birth. Place me like a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm. For love is as strong as death. It's jealousy unyielding as the grave. It burns like a blazing fire, like a mighty flame. Many waters cannot quench love. Rivers cannot sweep it away. If one were to give all the wealth of one's house for love, it would be utterly scorned. We have a little sister and her breaths are not yet grown. What shall we do for our sister on the day she is spoken for? If she is a wall, we will build towers of silver on her. If she is a door, we will enclose her with panels of cedar. I am a wall and my breasts are like towers. Thus I have become in his eyes like one bringing contentment. Solomon had a vineyard in Baal Hamon he let out his vineyard to tenants. Each was to bring for its fruit a thousand shekels of silver. But my own vineyard is mine to give. A thousand shekels are for you, Solomon, and two hundred are for those who tend its fruit. You who dwell in the gardens with friends in attendance, let me hear your voice. Come away, my beloved, and be like a gazelle or like a young stag on the spice-laden mountains. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Jane, for reading that. And could I ask all of you to take out your Bibles and let's go through the last part of this great song, Song of Songs, chapter 8. But as you take out your Bible, let me pray for all of us. Lord, we thank you so much for your amazing love. Thank you that you long for us, and you call us beautiful, and you, you have made us your own. Lord, we pray now that you would shower our hearts with your love, that we might know you more, that we might long for you more, that we might live for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, the internet uh, argues about which is their best song, but apparently many people think BTS is be the, the best song that they have is called Spring Day. Spring Day. It goes something like this. 보고 싶다. 이렇게 말하니까 더 보고 싶다. I miss you. Even just saying I miss you makes me miss you even more. 네손 잡고 지구 반대편까지가 이 겨울을 끝내고 봐. I want to go to the other side of the earth with your hand in my hand and put an end to winter. He says, <laughs> it's a love song and the world is full of them. I don't know if you've checked out the most watched videos on YouTube, but if you take out children's songs like uh, uh, Baby Shark, uh, most of them are love songs. We love to sing these love songs. And although challenging at times, I've enjoyed uh, preaching through this series, and I think you've enjoyed listening to them um, too, because it's about love, and we know the power of love, and we want to sing of love. And in Song of Songs, actually, it only mentions God in passing reference just once. 
but we don't seem to mind because it seems to be full of God. It's, it's divine. There's something divine in love. Actually, C.S. Lewis, in his great book, Four Loves, put it this way. Of all loves, he, Eros, um, what he calls the romantic love, is at his height the most godlike, therefore most prone to demand our worship. This Eros love, this romantic love, he says, is most godlike. And it makes us taste uh, God's love. And it makes us want to be like God when we love. I mean, think about it. When we're usually selfish and petty. But when we are in love, we become selfless. The other person's happiness truly becomes my own happiness. And we, therefore, become truly altruistic, don't we? Like the woman that we saw last week, who went after her beloved without regard for her pride, her ego, her comfort, uh, for her safety. She has put the other person, her beloved, first. She becomes completely selfless in this way, Lewis writes. When we love, we fulfill God's law. Uh, law, uh, the, the command to love our neighbors as ourselves. To love and be loved like this, well, it's to experience God. And we now come to the final section of our song. Uh, uh, and the author, as the author ends the song, what he'll do is he'll show us, he'll give us a few pictures of what love is like. And, and he will help us to see the power of love. But then he'll also tell us how the other cheap alternatives do not satisfy. The alternative sort of relationships and, and these things that are not of God do not satisfy. That we are to wait um, for, this, for this great covenantal love. Love is, take a look at verses 5 to 7. How would you describe love? Love is, well, he describes it like this, leaning on each other. Take a look at verse 6. Who is this coming up from the wilderness, leaning on her beloved? Of course, it's the bride that's coming, leaning on her beloved. Some commentators think that this section is now um, a reflection of an old couple. Uh, you know, it is wrinkled and hunched and, and you know, it doesn't have all the strength. And so she comes leaning on her husband. Well, there isn't much evidence um, other than this line um, here, but I love the image because we know that old couple leaning on each other, well, that's a great image of love, of faithfulness and self-giving, uh, the covenantal love that lasts a lifetime. Love is leaning on each other, whether you're young or old. Love is also family. The second half of verse 5 mentions an apple tree where his mother conceived and gave birth. Now, it wasn't a tradition um, to conceive and give birth under an apple tree. Uh, it wasn't like that. Uh, this is most likely a metaphorical tree, metaphorical family tree. What she's saying is, look, um, uh, the, this family tree, she's saying you were born uh, to your parents and here we have our children. Uh, we didn't have time to read through chapters 6 and 7, but those chapters are mostly about the couple's desire to have children. I'm going to give you just a couple of verses here. Uh, for example, in chapter 6, verse 11, 
He says, I went down to the grove of nut trees to look at the new growth in the valley to see if the vines had, bu have, had budded or the pomegranate, pomegranates were in bloom. Nuts and pomegranates, well, they're well-known images of fertility. And he goes down to see if a new growth has taken place. We see something similar in chapter 7, verses 12 to 13, where mandrakes are mentioned. Mandrakes, fam famously, the roots look like people. And so they are a well-known uh, fertility symbol. Uh, they desire to grow a family. Uh, we uh, long for that too, right? Uh, uh, love is happy family. Love is growing this family. Love is also a seal over the heart. A wealthy person in the ancient Near East would have had a seal like this. This is a really big one. Um, and it was an important thing because most people back then couldn't write, couldn't read, couldn't write. And so these seals become their signature, uh, uh, identification uh, mark. Uh, some would have worn these seals uh, tied to a cord uh, just around their neck. And what the bride wants for her husband is to wear her close to his heart, close to his very being, to identify with her. Of course, uh, you could bind the seal also in your arms, making a public display of his commitment or, um, to, to, to her, a bit like, you know, our wedding rings. It would show that he belonged to her. Love is like death and grave. That's a surprise. That might sound strange, but it's understandable because what's stronger than death? What has lived but not died? No living thing that actually lives does not die. Everything dies. Love is as strong as death. It's the strongest thing that he could think of. And it's jealousy, unyielding as a grave. There are good kind of jealousy, there are, uh, there are bad kind of jealousy, but there are good kinds of jealousy, right? If Mary, my wife, started to date another man, I should be jealous. You know, that sort of loyalty and that commitment to one another is what we actually commit to when we get married. And our jealousy uh, should be as strong as grave if in that sort of covenantal love. Love is also a mighty flame. It burns like blazing fire, like a mighty flame. It's kind of flame. Well, there's no other kind like it, really, um, on earth. It's a, it's a flame that does not get quenched by water. Even if you pour rivers of water upon it, it does not extinguish. How can that be? Well, literally, it's the mighty flame is the flame of Yah. Uh, that Yah is a shortened version of Yahweh. It's the only place where the song mentions the name of God. It's the mighty flame of Yahweh God himself. Love is divine, is what he's saying. Chaos and evil and all the bad things in the world cannot extinguish it because love is divine. It is from God. It can withstand all things. And love is also priceless. If one were to give all the wealth of one's house for love, it would be utterly scorned. It would be like going to the Louvre, offering everything that you have to buy the Mona Lisa. Even if you're a rich person, you'd be laughed out of the house, right? Because you, the Mona Lisa is not a kind of thing that you could buy with your money. It's priceless. 
love as we have seen in Song of Songs, it's, it is priceless. You couldn't buy this sort of love with money. And that's the reason why love songs are everywhere, because we feel its power, we see its beauty. Who hasn't done something stupid in the name of love? What are some of the things that you have done that's stupid because of love? But it also makes us do things that are truly beautiful, truly selfless, truly holy, because it's love. I've been helped by a few uh, commentators. Douglas O'Donnell is one um, I, I, I've been helped by. He tells in his commentary the story of Benjamin Warfield, who was an American systematic theologian who taught at Princeton, uh, most well known for his writing about uh, inerrancy of scripture. But uh, not many people know this, but he was married to his wife, Annie. He married when he was 25, and on his honeymoon, he went to Germany where, unfortunately, Annie was struck by a lightning and was paralyzed for the rest of her life. And for 40-some years, Professor Warfield did not get out of the house for more than a couple of hours because he took care of his wife. No vacations in Thailand, no, um, no, no time away. He taught, he read, he cared for, and he loved his wife every day since that day of marriage until she died. That's the power of love, isn't it? This is not the kind of love that you can buy. But there are those who try. It's a scholarly consensus that um, Solomon didn't write this because he really does does not come out very well um, in this song. And it's not a surprise because Solomon, I think, sought to buy love with money, with power that he had. Here's 1 King 11's record of what Solomon was like. It's pretty damning. King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughter. They were from nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them because they will surely turn your hearts after their gods. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. He had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines, and his wives led him astray. 700 wives and 300 concubines. The author of our song in verse 11, take a look. He says that Solomon had a vineyard of Hamon, Baal Hamon. We don't know of any vineyard named that. We don't know of any geographical um, area named that. But Baal Hamon literally means the Lord of Abundance. Lord of Abundance. Uh, in fact, the vineyard, if you think about it, throughout the song has been a metaphor for women, for women's body often. Lord of Abundance. One translator translates this as husband of many, husband of multitude. The ten- tenants um, there in the, in the vineyard, he says, uh, it could be the eunuchs who tended to the many, many uh, concubines that he had. And the mention of a thousand shekel in verse 11 could be actually the money that the family maybe were given when they brought their uh, daughters to uh, Solomon. And if we see this section in this way, verse 12 becomes clear. The meaning becomes clear. My, uh, but my own vineyard is mine to give. The thousand shekels are for you, Solomon, and two hundred are for those who tend its fruit. 
my body is not mine to give or to sell. My body is for my lover alone. You can keep your money, Solomon. You can keep on paying your eunuchs because no money can buy what I have with my groom. If you were to offer everything that you have, well, I'd just scoff at you. I'd laugh at your face. No, money cannot buy love. Why did Solomon do this? Well, I don't know. I, you know. I can't get into psychology, but it seems uh, you know, that th there was something missing because we are made for this sort of love. And it seems like he didn't have it. He didn't have that one person who was really committed to him, who loved him and whom he loved in the same way. And so he tried to fill that void with more women, more sex. He tried to buy sex. Concubines, uh, wives, uh, each one from a different and more exotic location, Egyptian uh, wife, Moabite, Ammonites, um, and, and, and so on. He reminds me of the woman at the well in John 4. Remember the Samaritan woman at the well who had five husbands and who was now living with her boyfriend whom uh, Jesus talked to? She had this thirst that she could not quench and so she went after one relationship to another. She reminds me of somebody like Tiger Woods, you know, who admitted to, have, to, to, to being addicted to sex, he, which meant that he just cheated on his wife again and again and again. He reminds me of the culture that many of us are in, uh, this culture of hookup culture, right? wanting approval, wanting a quick physical satisfaction, going to cheap sex but not finding satisfaction. So you need more and more of it. And that reminds me of pornography, the promise of pornography, which gives you the promise of fulfillment, but actually leaves us damaged, wanting for more, wanting, uh, hurting our souls and cheapening sex. No, sex in these contexts do not bring peace, do not bring that sort of satisfaction because it's not in the context of love. Love as God has designed it, and sex as God has designed it. No, if so sex is supposed to be as joyful as we have seen in chapter 4, it needs to be in that context of covenantal love. Love that's bound as a seal. Love as strong as death. Love uh, that, that, that the waters cannot quench. Love that is priceless. Love that, is, um, that reflects God's covenantal love with us. Well, what shall the unmarried do until that time then? Well, that's the question actually that the brothers ask, friends ask in verse 8. We have a little sister and our breasts are not yet grown. What shall we do for our sister? Well, in that culture, this was a culture of arranged marriages. So the family is asking, well, how should we prepare our little sister who's not yet grown uh, for marriage, uh, for that sort of love? And the brother's answer is very similar to the bride's answer that she said many times throughout this song. Do not awaken that desire. Keep it closed, right? Guard yourself. Take a look at verse 9. If she is a wall, we'll build towers of silver on her. If she is a door, we'll enclose her. It doesn't take much of an imagination to uh, get the meaning of this. A wall is a, a big thing, right? It's, it's, it's a fortification. It speaks of, it's a fortification impregnability. It speaks of the girl's desire um, to protect her virginity, 
to, uh, um, and then if, if she has that sort of desire, then the brothers say, we will build uh, this uh, towers of silver on her. We'll celebrate her um, desire. We'll make her even more beautiful. Something that the silver is probably a reference to the dowry um, that the family might give. But if she's a door, on the other hand, she does not take, if she doesn't take her responsibility to guard herself seriously, then the brothers say, we'll enclose her with panels of cedar. Well, it surely means um, that the brothers will try their best to protect her from these men from getting to her. You might wonder, well, what about the groom? Shouldn't we care about the, the boys, um, our, our boys um, and their sexual holiness? Of course, of course, the answer is yes. It just doesn't say that in this text. But there are other texts, like the whole book of Proverbs majors on this topic, right? If Song of Songs is written to the daughters of Jerusalem, uh, the book of Proverbs, well, the, my son is addressed 23 times. And in that book, again and again, the son is encouraged to be pure, um, to not go to uh, pr the prostitutes, uh, to be tempted by the adulteresses. Uh, the, book whole, the whole book ends with Proverbs 31 about how he should be faithful to this one woman who is virtuous. right? And then we get uh, places like Psalms. Um, here, how can a young man keep his way pure by guarding it according to uh, your word? Yeah, I mean, it's important for both of us. There is no, there is no double standard for men and women. The teens who are watching, thank you for watching. I know it's been an awkward series uh, for you to watch, but you might wonder, well, why does the Bible take virginity so seriously, sexual holiness so seriously? Uh, let's hear from the bride. And her mouth, verse 10, I'm a wall and my breasts are like towers. In other words, I've kept myself a, a, a virgin and now I am mature. And she goes on to say, thus I have become in his eyes like one bringing contentment. That word is shalom, a one bringing peace, wholeness. She was able to bring peace to the, the groom, to herself and to the relationship. It, it matters because of peace, because peace is the way that things are supposed to be. And if you look at it, it ends with bringing contentment, shalom. And verse 11, the next, very next verse, uh, starts with Solomon. And Solomon's name actually means peace. It's the peace that Solomon didn't have. His name was peace, but he sought peace through all these women, but he didn't have it. But here we see this bride keeping herself pure and bringing herself to the marriage and bringing peace and contentment to the marriage and to herself. I don't think it, this is a, a difficult to imagine. You know, one commentator um, puts it, no one says, I waited until marriage and I feel so guilty. No one says, I'm not so at peace about the foolish behavior of waiting until marriage. I think that seems true to me. No one that I know who has waited until marriage says, I regret this decision. But the other is often true. Sex before and outside of marriage often brings destruction and heartaches. You know, it's the kind of thing when we give ourselves, um, we, we attach ourselves um, to another person in a way that we're not supposed to. And when we detach ourselves, well, it leaves scars, it leaves heartache and pain. 
that Douglas O'Donnell, the commentator that I mentioned, uh, his case was even more serious in that when he was 18, he had a child out of wedlock. And this is what he writes. In my situation, at first, I thought my impurity had no possible negative side effects. It only brought pleasure. But then in time, it only brought pain, chaos, disorder, war. And that often happens, doesn't it? And that makes sense because every sin, not just sexual sin, but every sin brings destruction and chaos and disorder and pain. A lie muddles and complicates relationships and anger severs and taints relationships. A theft destroys a, a trust. Every single dis- sin destroys the fabric of God's design, the very fabric that's there to make us flourish, to, that's there to, have, to make us have peace. The other sin generates brokenness, sickness, violence, injustice. Holiness, on the other hand, if we pursue holiness, there's simplicity in holiness. There's goodness and wholeness and peace in holiness. But even if, even as I encourage you to pursue sexual holiness and holiness in every area, I know I should probably point out that there is no complete peace in any of our hearts, is there? All of us have given into some sort of sexual temptation. All of us, some form of sexual immorality. All of us. Pornography, premarital marriage, prostitution, infidelity, lustful thoughts. For many of us, lustful thoughts is a daily battle that we face. And if we look at ourselves with Jesus' standard, there is no true virgin. Only those of us who are cleansed and loved and purified by Christ. But even if you pursue holiness and you achieve it to a certain degree, Right? Even if uh, you save yourself from marriage and you get married um, to a person who's just right, like the picture of a Song of Solomon, a per- per- you, even if you're a c- perfect couple, even if you experience the power and beauty of, of, of marriage and sex and all these things as we have seen, actually, even with all those things, it will still leave you hanging. It still leave you with the sense of incompleteness. And that's by God's design. You see, the best of this world is only there to awaken our sense of eternal, uh, a sense of the eternal. And it's true of sex, as we have seen. Dan Allender and Temper Longman, in, his, in their book, uh, writes this, God gave us sex to arouse and satisfy a hunger for intimacy, Sexuality arouses a desire for union. Sexual consummation satisfies the desire, but it also mysteriously creates a hunger for more, not only for more sex, but also a taste of of ultimate union, a final reconciliation with God. Which makes sense of why Song of Songs ends in the way that it does. Take a look at verses 13 and 14. It does not end with the sigh of satisfaction. It does not end with everything being perfectly right. Actually, it ends with desire for more, uh, more longing. In verse 13, the groom seeks out his bride one more time. He says, let me hear your voice. In verse 14, the bride answers, with not so subtle innuendo, come away, my beloved. 
and be like a gazelle or a young stag on a spice-laden mountain. It ends with the expression of desire for union, but not its fulfillment. But the spring day that we saw in chapter 2, you know, remember the day of proposal and marriage. The spring day will come. That spring day that BTS sang about, the spring day that will end the the, the eternal winter that's out there, the spring day that all our hearts long for will come. It will come when our love returns. Come away with me, my beloved. Until that day, we are to wait patiently. It's not a coincidence, I think, that the book, the, the entire book, the entire Bible ends not so differently the way the Song of San- Song ends. Listen to these words from Revelations 21. He who testifies to these things say, yes, I am coming soon. Amen, Lord, come, Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your amazing love for us. Lord, awaken in us this desire for you. Lord, help us to know you more. Help us to know your love more, that we might long for you more. And Lord, help us to know your love in such a way that it will flow out um, to our spouses and to our children and to our siblings and parents and all our relationships. Help us to love others like you love us. Lord, we thank you that you have claimed us as your own, that we are yours, that we get to taste um, that love. And Lord, we pray that by the power of your Spirit, you would fill us with your Spirit, that we would know you more, that we would be filled with the fullness of God um, through it. Lord, we pray that for all those who are listening, and that we would know your love. In Jesus' name, amen.